0: shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell and joining us for our continuing mental health focus and mental health week is Dr. Jessie Gold. She's an assistant professor and director of wellness engagement and outreach in the Department of Psychiatry at Washington University in St. Louis. Thank you so much for being here this morning
1: good morning thanks for having
0: me (laughs) so my first question is really just how we're doing because i i I, in the beginning of the pandemic i mean i do therapy on the phone which i think is an evolution in the pandemic which has been so incredible but one of the things i remember in the beginning of the pandemic is even my therapist sort of asking me because i work in news like are we going to be okay you know so it was a moment where i realized i was like oh Even the therapists and the healthcare professionals are having a very difficult time because this is a difficult moment. Just to start us off, can you talk a bit about just some of the challenges you've seen in your work um, and mental health issues people are experiencing, including healthcare professionals in this pandemic moment, in the pandemic years
1: yeah, I appreciate you asking how we're doing because I think we're not very good at asking that question. We kind of ask it as a thing to ask, but not because we really want to know the answer. And so I think that people have been struggling. I think since before the pandemic, people's mental health was struggling mm-hmm. and the pandemic had a lot of new stressors, depending on what kind of group you're working in and what you're dealing with. So healthcare workers in particular had. A very new environment to work in with a disease that they didn't know what to do, where a lot of people were dying in a culture that doesn't talk about mental health and a structural system that doesn't allow for much flexibility or control. And so with those additional stressors, healthcare workers who already had pretty bad mental health, I mean, depression rates higher than the general population, uh, use of substances, um, like prescribed substances higher than the general population, uh, then had this compounded effect on their mental health and have been struggling more for sure. Um, I see healthcare workers in clinic. It's kind of a unique clinical position. I also see faculty, staff, and college kids. And so I think you know we've had a steady rise over the pandemic Of people coming to get seen. I think there's a delay in getting to be seen in some groups in particular because they don't talk about mental health and it's just Mm -hmm. not a thing that's okay,
0: you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like part of the reason I wanted to do a mental health week is because I want to remove the stigma Um, and I want to make people at home feel less isolated as if they're the only one experiencing difficulty in these pandemic years like I want them to know I want to validate the fact that if you feel just like something is a little bit off like that we all we're all feeling that in some form or fashion like the pandemic changed everyone's lives even if our circumstances were a little bit different right I mean everybody has a different lived experience but the pandemic was a universal moment where everything changed for everyone Whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter. Like everybody's life is different um, than it was before in a lot of different ways. Even if you were going to work, you know, now you have to go to work as a healthcare professional or even as a, you know, somebody who works um, in a restaurant or in a front-facing job, frontline worker. um, In as you said, in the context of a deadly disease that nobody knows anything about, I've also sort of talked. I talked recently with Dr. Ed Yong on the show from The Atlantic. About the pandemic and the impact it's having um, on our mental health, but even based on the science. So one of the things that he was talking about as well is um, that COVID. There we don't know a lot yet, but we're learning. And part of what we're learning is that COVID, the disease, actually may be changing our brains. Like people who had have COVID, um, you know, their their brains are different than before their COVID infections. Are, do you, do you um, even anecdotally, um, are you seeing people report that like their, their changes in moods? I mean, is that part of what is exacerbating the problem that we've already established is happening with mental health right now?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think it's sort of a chicken or egg problem and maybe compounding in both directions, right? So if you have COVID and you have any sort of physical illness or long-lasting physical illness like people with long COVID, it's going to affect your mental health because you're not able to do the things that you want to be doing. You're going to be struggling day to day. You're going to have symptoms that people don't know what to do with, and that's really frustrating and really hard, and that's going to affect your mental health. But in the same respect, we're seeing studies that like COVID alone on the brain is affecting people's mental health and people who had COVID were more likely to have depression and anxiety in the hospitalized patients more than others, but even just sort of mild infections, people had new onset anxiety and depression in ways that they didn't have before. So, you know, we're seeing people that maybe it's from having the disease in some component, and maybe it's also just compounded by what the disease does to their life. But I think there are these changes that we're seeing in people. You know, in my clinic, I get people like what Ed talks a lot about, like with brain fog with trouble concentrating and really doing things executive function wise like they can't do the tasks they wanted to do before. I get those people in my clinic because they feel like nobody else is listening to them and they get sent to me for that or they get sent to me because people tell them it's all in their head and then it's a very hard position for me to be in because I know it's not all in their head and it's very much grounded in their actual brain but I you know am there to support them in whatever way possible so people end up in my office for that reason which I think is challenging for both of us but you know, hopefully I can be helpful in those circumstances.
0: How can we better understand brain fog? I feel like, one, the term is kind of vague, right? It makes it seem like you forgot where you put your keys. And when you talk about executive function, it's also something that um, Ed talked about when he was on the show. That is not forgetting your keys.
1: No, I mean, it's it's much more than that. It's like, you know, going to do a task and forgetting what you were doing, not remembering the exact steps of the task, having trouble doing the steps like start to finish, a lot of trouble with memory and concentration in general. I think that one of the things that's hard about brain fog is it's like this intangible thing to people. So people might look pretty healthy, but feel pretty miserable. And I think we see that a lot with mental health conditions. Like when people can't see it, it's harder for them to understand how much someone is struggling, but they're really struggling. It's just hard to describe and hard to see. And so people are really having a hard time with it. And I saw this long before COVID with people who had like cancer or other chronic illnesses. And and it's just been worse with COVID and long COVID.
0: I mean, it, it feels to me like, you know, part of why I wanted to talk about this is because I think that this is a crisis that, as we've discussed, predated the pandemic, but is going to be exacerbated um, by the pandemic. And I want to make sure that we were prepared for that. Um, and I and I, I don't see enough conversation. So I'm like, we're going to have it. Um, one of the things that it comes along with Um, dealing with even the brain fog you've mentioned, but also anxiety and depression is the isolation and stigma that goes along with that where, you know, there aren't a lot of forums where people can comfortably talk about the fact that they are struggling um, or they, you know, can only feel comfortable doing it, coming to see a professional like you. I mean, how do we work to remove some of the stigma and isolation that's associated with some of these mental health struggles that people are all, I mean, I think, Most people out there, even if they are not labeling it as something, are dealing with some level of anxiety because of the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I think having conversations like this is a really
1: great place to start. I mean, I appreciate you saying that we weren't really prepared to deal with the mental health outcomes of something like this. And I think, you know, if you talk to mental health people, you talked to me early in the pandemic, I would mm-hmm. have told you that the mental health tale was going to be long if you looked at previous traumas or previous big um, events on a population. You know, they have a physical kind of footprint and then they have a mental health footprint that's obviously going to be much longer and much bigger. But we don't tend to talk about that enough. I think stigma comes from all sorts of things. So television, movies is a place where we get some of that. Our culture and our, our you know, the people that we're around day to day is where we get some of that. And it definitely differs by your workplace, um, your identity, so many things. But I think what we really need to do is get more comfortable, you know, asking that how are you question and wanting to know the answer and being okay with that. I think we all worry that like if we want to talk about mental health, we have to tell people, our entire mental health history. And that's not true. You know, normalizing this stuff and being better at talking about this stuff can start with something as easy as like, I've been really stressed over COVID. What's it been like for you? Or, you know, I'm really tired and I've been noticing I'm pretty tired. Has it been hard to go to work for you too? Something like that, where it's just really normalizing and validating, but it doesn't have to be like, hi, I have depression. I take this medication. Of course, like we need some people to do that. And it makes a big difference in our culture when some people do, but we can't expect everyone to go from zero to that. So we need to have like a scale of conversation where it becomes easier to do that. And I think, you know having one person you can talk to about this is really important so lots of data about social support being a protective factor for all things mental health related especially over covid supervisor support being another really important thing in the workplace but you know having a person that you feel supported by at least one person that you can have these open and honest conversations with can make a huge difference
0: Really, really can. And even if it's to call me a stranger, um, if you're listening, um, just to talk to me, um, understanding that this is not you know, this is not a private session. um, But if it helps to just talk about it, I'm always here for you guys at home. Um, One of the other things that has happened in the pandemic is like, you know, the world didn't stop, unfortunately. So that so like, we think that it shut down, everything shut down. But like, there's stuff still happening in the pandemic. So we're in the context of a pandemic. There's an attack on the Capitol, a whole insurrection. The president wants to stay there. Then you have mass shootings happening all the time. I mean, I feel like there's a compound effect when you're in the middle of what some people would describe a dystopia and then like other things are happening in the, I call it intersecting dystopia. Um, (laughs) But in a lot of ways, like that can feel paralyzing and overwhelming. I mean, can you talk a bit, you see college students Can you talk a bit about young people, how they are doing? Because young people and their mental health, I feel like Gen Z is a little bit more open about talking about mental health issues, but I think they're also struggling with perhaps more mental health issues than previous generations or seem to be because of all of these intersecting issues that are happening all at one time, including the fact that they know they're not safe at school.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I like about college students and is really powerful about college students is how much they feel and feel deeply, like they really care about the world. And I think when the world is this challenging and has so many compounding issues, that makes it all the much harder because they're processing all of that at the same time and really wanting to help where they can and participate where they can. And there's a lot of things kind of pulling their attention. And college is a really hard time in general, big time for identity formation, big time for mental health disorders as well like people being kind of the time in which they come out, like things like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia, I come in college a lot, lots of experimentation too, you know, extra stressors with that. And so it's always been a particularly challenging time for mental health. And I think the pandemic with all these extra stressors, and then initially, like the isolation and loneliness mm-hmm. of being at home for them, which wasn't something that they would have expected or known was going to be as long as it was made a really big impact on them. I think I hear a lot from people and that this is not not just college students that they feel numb to a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to have a conversation about the fact that numbness is actually in an, an emotion, really. Like we don't see it like that, but really we're protecting ourselves in a lot of ways. It's a bit of a trauma response to say, we don't feel anything because we're kind of afraid to feel something and maybe that's conscious or not, but it's a way to sort of protect ourselves from constant influx of feelings. Right. And so without the like, you know, I feel happy. I feel sad. I feel angry. It's almost just, I can't feel because I can't deal with all of this anymore. And I think that that's a protective thing, but definitely something we need to talk about out loud with each other.
0: Oh, I can relate to that. So if anybody else is feeling like that description, um, spoke to you, I'm here to validate that, that that's real. I feel that a lot of the time. I mean, I think, um, I recently experienced a loss, but, it was also after four long years of my mom being very, very sick. And so I understand what you're talking about when you're saying, like in some ways you sort of have to be numb to sort of get through the days, you know, and just get through all the things you have to do. And then the pandemic happened and it was like, oh my God, like what is going on? Like, this is a lot, like, you know, I mean, I'm, I am turned 40 in the pandemics and then that's that that's a whole moment where your brain is like, Am I gonna have kids ever? I don't know. This whole thing's turning out really different than you sort of thought, um, and it's all out of your control. And related to that piece of it is the lack of control. Is that what sort of is part of the catalyst for why we feel this way? Um, that realization that you know you don't have control.
1: Yeah, first I want to thank you for sharing your story. It, it's thank really you. important and can make a really big difference for people. So I really appreciate that. Plus, I think grief is this component we don't talk enough about for the pandemic, where so many people have lost someone, have had someone struggling, have had, have lost a parent. You know, millions yeah. of people have yep. lost a parent, and I think that's something we need to be talking about in this calculation of what our mental health looks like and what our mental health will look like because of the pandemic in the future. But that being said, control is a huge thing. I always say control is sort of the enemy of anxiety. So if you don't have control, you're going to be really worried about things because people with anxiety like to know what's happening next. They sort of have a foot in the future, but they would like that foot to be exactly where they want it to be with the exact plan that they have. And so when you don't have control, especially with something like a pandemic where you don't have an end, the, the finish line keeps moving. You're kind of constantly on alert. And anxiety is really evolutionary in that it was developed to say like, this thing is a threat or this could be a threat, you've got to be prepared to run from, from it or hide from it. You know, we mm-hmm. have that fight or flight to it yep. and it's really actually evolutionary. But if the threat is constant or constantly evolving and you can't see an end to it, you're kind of constantly on alert. So that's why people feel so just like exhausted all the time. I think that's the most common presentation in my office and has been for a lot of the pandemic because this constant just feeling of what's next I don't know what's next that makes me anxious and then you know you kind of present to your office that way
0: oh that is a very relatable thing to to me as well this idea that in the pandemic years and I think for me personally it kind of predated the pandemic years but when people started talking in 2020 about lizard brain and being in fight or flight I was like oh I know what that is <laughs> I'm in that um, but also I think all of us sort of entered that and and in some ways, I feel like we don't necessarily talk enough about the ways to cope when you are in a fight or flight state. What are some of the things we should be doing? I mean, I, I one of the pieces of advice somebody told me was to run at the end of the day because literally you're fleeing. <laughs> so somehow like, you know, you're just you're getting it all sort of worked out. Um, all the things that are in it, all the chemicals that are firing in your brain to sort of just like Run it out. Um, And that was a good piece of advice. But what are some other things people can do that um, help when they are in that lizard brain, that fight or flight evolutionary response?
1: Yeah. So when you're like that, it's really hard to think it's really hard to do anything. And a lot of it's pretty physical. We often say to do things like we call it grounding, but it's like being aware of your body and space, focusing on like where your feet are, where your hands are, you know, really focusing on yourself in that way. Sometimes you can get there by doing things like pointing out how many, like five things you can see around the room, four things you can hear, three things you can smell, that sort of thing, and kind of just get brought into your senses. Sometimes you can do that by just like naming categories of things. So like if it's really easy for you to name like classic cars, like just going through a list of classic cars and kind of coming into your body that way. Some people need a physical, like a touching of something to get back into their body. So things like stress balls or stress putty are really good for that. Um, I think part of the, you know, lack of control, if you're past the point where (laughs) you can't do anything because you're so, so anxious, then this might not be that helpful. But if you get it before then, really taking the time to go, what are the things that I'm worried about? Write those down and then look at the ones that you actually can control and try to do something about those and leave the other ones for now. There are lots of things that we stress out about and that are really big like concerns for us that we can't actually fix in the moment. And being able to have something that we can fix, I think can make a big difference. It's sort of the AA mentality of like, you know knowing what you can control and what you can't and focusing on that and i think that can be a big big help for people too
0: right i mean i know the serenity prayer is is most known for the context of aa but the serenity prayer is real like that that that's real um in every context and if you actually think about what it's saying it's saying like I there are things that you can't control. I mean, there's things about every single I mean, uh, one of the things I've been talking about all week is like life is short, right? So and you don't know, we none of us know, when you know, our time here is going to come to an end. And none of us know if we get to come back, we only know we get to do this one time as far as we're aware. And everybody's doing it for their very first time as far as we're aware. And so I always try to say like, no one knows what they're doing. But also, you know, you sort of have to understand that, Because you don't know, you don't have control. You don't have control over any other person. You don't have control over what anybody else decides to do. Um, And sometimes that can be paralyzing, but mostly you should just take that deep breath. And I think these grounding exercises would be really helpful if you're having a moment like that. Um, When you think about the future – um, we started the conversation talking about all of the different things people are experiencing right now, more reports of anxiety and depression. Young people are struggling. I mean, it feels like we're going to need some infrastructure here. What are some of the things you think about, you know, that we need or you think we need more of in the future, whether it be policy programs, um, you know, wraparound services? Like, I feel like we're going to need a whole overhaul of <laughs> of our systems to deal with The influx of people who are going to need help in the future.
1: Uh, You know, I always say trauma doesn't have a timeline. So, you know, you might have an effect from this years from now and have no idea that it's actually related to what happened before, but it's just something that brings it out, something that triggers it, et cetera. So this has a really long thing. We're not talking months, we're talking years. And we're also not saying like, whenever somebody decides that COVID is magically gone, our mental health isn't magically going to get better either. And so we do need to be planning for the long term. And we also need to be planning to address the spectrum of people's presentations, right? So I think we focus a lot on crisis because I think that's important. We're not great there either, but, you know, 988 was a good start Mm -hmm. as like a place to go and an easy number to remember. But of course, that's state dependent and infrastructure state by state really varies. And, you know, we need a place for people to go that's not the emergency room, I think, Mm -hmm. to be able to say like, okay, um, these people are struggling with mental health conditions, but they don't need to be in an emergency room. That place isn't a safe place. There are these like crisis to center some places that are really good in between places for people to sit and kind of feel better and be seen by mental health. And I think that's a good place um, to think about for crisis that kind of in between places like, you know, we don't have a good community mental health infrastructure and we never have. Um, That was a problem that dates back to us not actually doing anything when we stopped having institutions, you know, and so we need to be investing more in community mental health. We need to be investing more in the pipeline for to have enough therapists and people who go into mental health, including people of color, Um, you know, people really prefer people that look like them Mm -hmm. and they don't always have that option. And we need to be encouraging that, whether that's a financial investment, you know, in people going through the training and paying them back for going through training, whatever that looks like. We need to be thinking on the long term with that. Like that's a long term issue. Um, A lot of these things are long term issues, unfortunately. But I mean, a lot of them need money. As much as everyone could argue that they need money for their thing, but I think we definitely do need to look at what mental health investments like we can make make statewide and nationwide to to do better on the community level and in the crisis
0: level. It's all so important, Dr. Jesse Gold. Assistant Professor and Director of the Wellness Engagement and Outreach in the Department of Psychiatry at Washington University in St. Louis. Thank you so much for being here this morning. It was really, really great to have you. I hope that people took a lot out of this conversation. I know I did. Um, and I hope I'm, I'm just sending all the positive mental health vibes to everyone who is listening. Um, and you are not alone out there if you are feeling like You're struggling a bit um through this we've we've never done this before there was one woman who was alive for the other pandemic uh in the in 1917 but she passed away at like 110 um and so earlier on in the pandemic and so there's no one on earth who has lived through through exactly this before so give yourself a little bit of grace um you're doing fine sweetie um dr jesse gold thank you so much for being here Uh, again it was great to have you yeah, thanks for having me and caring about people so much. Thank work. you, thank you so much, Stacy. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.